Hey, what's up, Fahim? How you doing? Okay. Let me invite you up as a speaker. Okay, I'm going to play the theme song. Y'all let me know if it doesn't work. Y'all hear okay? Uh, you're a bit quiet. I'm a bit quiet. Let me turn up myself. How's that? Yeah, good, good. Okay, cool. All right. And welcome to another episode of the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, we got a very special episode for everyone today. Um, uh, joining me with, with the idea for this as well. Um, is one of my favorite uh, people I've met on Colin, and uh, just a great person, and uh, will drive away from his dog, at least temporarily, to go meet you for tacos in Long Beach. Please give it up, everyone, for me. Yay! Cool. Welcome. Thanks for, for thanks for joining us, Fahim. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for doing this. It uh, really means a lot, and I think uh, the speech two years from now it's going to be sixty years from Man. the day that he gave his uh, speech before our elections. And part of me is what has changed, and how analogous is his speech. Uh, from April uh, 64, April 23rd, if I remember it correctly, to yeah. uh, now, it's like, what has really uh, changed? And the messages that he had, how analogous it is to right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I think uh, in going back over the speech and listening to it again, uh, and the version that you sent me, the one that he gave in Detroit, uh, it's it's kind of eerie how many parallels there still are to the political situation today, um, especially in light of all of this force the vote discussion that's been going on uh, online. Some of the like leftist infighting that's been happening for people uh, on Twitter. It's um, I think it's it's good sometimes to look at those who came before us. Uh, their political insights and their understanding of how to challenge power and where your power to even challenge power comes from. And when leveraging one type of power isn't enough. And I think this speech kind of goes over uh, all of it. So I have uh, different excerpts of the speech that I wanted to uh, bring up. Uh, Fahim, anytime you want to... Uh, interject or anything, please be my guest. But I think for people who are not familiar with the speech, uh, I have a little background that I've written up that I was going to go over. 
and just to kind of lay the foundation for what some of what we're about to listen to. Does that sound good? Yep. Perfect. Okay, great. And everyone heard the, the theme music at the front, right? Because I, I want to play the, the speech parts, but I just want to make sh- sure that it's uh, that you can hear the speech parts when they're actually coming up. Yeah. You, you all heard the music. Okay. Um, because I cannot give a very good Malcolm X impression. <laughs> I'm not that good. Uh, so this, this is a speech called the ballot or the bullet. And it's a speech that Malcolm X actually gave on two occasions. The first was delivered on, uh, April 3rd, 1964 at the Cory Methodist church in Cleveland, Ohio. And the second time he delivered the speech was April 12th, uh, 1964 at the King Solomon Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. And today, the excerpts of the speech that we're going to be listening to are the one that he gave in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, this speech took place about a month after Malcolm X had already left the Nation of Islam. Uh, We don't need to go into the whole history of his tenure with the Nation of Islam, but he was with them for a long time. He was uh, one of their main speakers and uh, one of the main uh, advocates for the prophet Elijah Muhammad. Uh, They had a falling out. You can watch the movie, you can read the autobiography, but uh, he did not agree with some of the lifestyle choices for uh, Elijah Muhammad, ended up leaving, and within, you know, a month, he's giving the speech. Now, when he's giving the speech, too, it's it's important to remember that... um, And you'll see at the beginning, he's giving this speech along with uh, Christian ministers who are in attendance. Uh, That was not something that Malcolm X had really done before up until this point. Uh, He was pretty hard on the uh, Islam is the only religion. All other religions are fake. The uh, Christianity that's been taught to you is the, the, the Christianity of the oppressor, your worshiping a God that's been given to you by the white man, etc. cetera. Uh, so it, it, this was already a pretty big move for Malcolm X to start giving this speech one month after leaving the Nation of Islam in the company of uh, other black Christian ministers. Uh, now, at the time that Malcolm X was giving this speech, the Senate of the United States was actually filibustering the Civil Rights Act of 1984. Now, if you don't know what the Civil Rights Act of 1984 is, you're obviously not black. Um, <laughs> but 1964. no, it, 1964. 1964. Yeah. So, so this is the this is the Civil Rights Act that um, was eventually passed that year, uh, but not after, not before this filibustering period. And behind the filibuster effort uh, for this. Uh, this bill that would give just equal rights in a lot of ways to black and brown Americans who had been denied them all this time, uh, there were several powerful senators behind this filibuster. Uh, so the first was uh, a senator named Richard Russell, and he's the one who led this filibustering effort. But the other senators who were filibustering the 1964 Civil Rights Act were Strom Thurmond, uh, notorious racist, uh, Robert Byrd, 
William Fulbright, and Sam Irvin. And Russell started the filibuster in late March of 1964, and it would last for 60 working days in the Senate. So at the time that Malcolm X is giving this speech, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is being filibustered, which obviously brings up this question, what good is voting if the people who we vote for, these people who purport themselves to be Democrats, are going to sit here and stand in the way of our civil rights? And just just to give a little more background here, Strom, Strom Thurmond uh, served as a United States senator forever. He was born in like 1902. He served in World War II at the age of like 41. He was old during World War II. And he served in the United States Senate until January of 2003. This person who's an open racist, this person who is who filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act, who would not want me to have rights, who tried to do that in, in Congress, uh, he was still serving when September 11th happened. In fact, he was, uh, he, he, I know that the vote for military authorization or authorization for use of military force against terrorists happened in uh, like September 14th of 2001, but uh, he was, it was a roll call vote, so he didn't have to put his hand up to vote. But this guy who filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, was here for 9-11. So that's, if that gives you any idea of like what kind of country we live in, uh, that's the country we live in. He was replaced by Senator Lindsey Graham eventually in 2003. And when he died, uh, a senator by the name of Joe Biden gave his eulogy. So, the, you know, the, these... These politics, even though it's we're almost going on 60 years here, Fahim, uh, the people who were involved in this, the people who are, were deeply connected to this are still impacting American culture, American policy, and American imperialism and politics to this day. And I think that's important to note. Um, now, Malcolm X gave this speech, again, while the Civil Rights Act is being filibustered. And he starts by talking about the, the need for solidarity with people of different faiths, but shared interests. Uh, so he states that he's here at the speech. Well, maybe I'll just play from the beginning uh, and cut back in just to give you all a, a sense of, of Malcolm X. And we can also make sure that the, uh, the sound's working. So, Here's the beginning of the, the Bowed in the Bullet speech that Malcolm X was giving uh, April 12, 1964 in Detroit. Mr. Moderator, Reverend Clee, brothers and sisters, and friends, and I see some enemies. <laughs> we'd be fooling ourselves if we had an audience this large and didn't realize that there were some enemies present. This afternoon, we want to talk about the ballot or the bullet. The ballot or the bullet explains itself. But before we get into it, 
Since this is the year of the ballot or the bullet, I would like to clarify some things that refer to me personally concerning my own personal position. I'm still a Muslim. That is, my religion is still Islam. My religion is still Islam. I still credit Mr. Muhammad for what I know and what I am. He's the one who opened my eyes. And at present, I'm the minister of the newly founded uh, Muslim Mosque Incorporated, which has its offices in the Teresa Hotel, right in the heart of Harlem. That's the Black Belt in New York City. And when we realize that Adam Clayton Powell is a Christian minister, he's the, he has the Abyssinia Baptist Church, but at the same time, he's more famous for his political struggling. And Dr. King is a Christian minister, in Atlanta, from Atlanta, Georgia, or in Atlanta, Georgia, but he's become more famous for being involved in the civil rights struggle. There's another in New York, Reverend Galamison. I don't know if you've heard of him out here. He's a Christian minister from Brooklyn, but has become famous for his fight against the segregated school system in Brooklyn. Reverend Cleed, right here, is a Christian minister here in Detroit. He's the head of the Freedom Now Party. All of these are Christian ministers. All of these are Christian ministers, but they don't come to us as Christian ministers. They come to us as fighters in some other category. I'm a Muslim minister. The same as they are Christian ministers, I'm a Muslim minister. And I don't believe in fighting today in any one front, but on all fronts. In fact, I'm a black nationalist freedom fighter. Islam is my religion, but I believe my religion is my personal business. It governs my personal life, my personal morals, and my religious philosophy is personal between me and the God in whom I believe, just as the religious philosophy of these others is between them and the God in whom they believe. And this is best this way. Were we now? I'll I'll, I'll cut back in for a, a moment, uh, because I, you know I don't want to play the entirety of the speech. Although there's nothing wrong with that. It's Malcolm. Um, if you're going to play anyone's speech, play his. But the it's important to note that he starts this entire speech off by talking about the need for unity towards a common struggle. Um, he's very clear as he goes on that he is very much a Muslim minister. Islam is his religion, but the use of, uh, um, that's a personal sort of, uh, choice and a personal sort of uh, relationship that he has with God at home. It's not something that's being brought up here and it's not something that's necessary uh to divide p 
people from a common struggle. Uh, he says, and my religious philosophy is personal between me and the God in whom I believe, just as the religious philosophy of these others is between them and the God whom they believe. And this is the best way. Were we to come here, out here discussing religion, we'd have too many differences from the outset. And we, would, and we could never get together. So today, though Islam is my religious philosophy, my political, economic, and social philosophy is black nationalism. You and I, as I say, if we bring up religion, we'll have differences, we'll have arguments, and we'll never be able to get it together. But if we keep our religion at home, keep our religion in the closet, keep our religion between ourselves and our God, but when we come out here, we have a fight that's common to us all, to all of us against an enemy who is common to all of us. So this is, this is a bit of a departure from uh, where Malcolm's been at before. It, it is more of a willingness to understand that solidarity is needed when the enemy is common, that the group needs to be one in order to fight a common enemy. And you can have group, the group can consist of all kinds of different people with different beliefs, beliefs that can be as closely held as things like religion, but that shouldn't get in the way of you understanding that you have this common enemy that you have to fight against, a common struggle that you should be in solidarity for. Uh, Fahim, did you have anything to add? Yes, so first of all, I appreciated the fact of he, confronts anybody having any sort of insinuations or thinking that, oh, okay, the guy is from so-and-so background and blah, blah, blah. He hits, he shuts that down right uh, there. And in, in a, not in a sneaky way or, or anything. He just is brutally clear on it and uh, about, okay, this is where I, uh, what my beliefs are. And he credits uh, Elijah Muhammad that like, okay, he was the one who opened my eyes. Just like many people these days can say that, like, you know what? I credit Bernie who opened my eyes. And right. and now I have moved uh, forward rather uh, than hiding behind and like people coming up with uh, different uh, uh, things in their mind and all. And that's the brutal honesty that I really appreciate uh, about uh, him. He just confronts it head on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a fantastic point. And, um, you know, he's not, this isn't him being a turncoat to where he was at or to any particular group or anything like that. It's him growing and him starting off the speech that way, I think is very important. Um, especially when, uh, you, you know, there are all kinds of, especially with this force to vote stuff, there are a lot of like internal divisions with the left. A lot of people have different opinions on it. Um, but, uh, you know, just understanding that, well, the goal, the enemy has not changed here either right the the yes. the 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 goal that we are trying to achieve here remains the goal that we are trying to achieve the oppression that we are under remains the oppression that we are under and to the extent that there's anything that can get us bickering with each other and he goes into this more later in the speech keep that shit at home like uh it doesn't mean that we don't we'll get into it more we'll we'll, yeah. we'll do the breakdown more let's keep it and on the, the oppressor remains the same 
the oppressor remains the same. Okay. Nothing has changed in that sense. Um, and when he talks about black nationalism throughout this speech, he, he is talking about uh, something that was very more specific to the times. But I think for the listeners today, and uh, if you're listening to this, you know, anytime after 2022, a lot of the times it's, it, it, you can understand best na- or black nationalism is best understood in the modern context of something like uh, worker ownership or uh, communities that own their own wealth, um, worker empowerment. And, and Malcolm X is very explicit in talking about the need for, at this time, black nationalists to build their own communities. Uh, but in the modern times, you know, there is a need for us to build our own infrastructure, to own our own uh, means of production in order to build jobs for us uh, and being able to, to provide, each other. To, support to support each other. Each other. Exactly. Yes. That's it. And, and that's a very common theme that he continues to hit on uh, throughout the speech. And the reason why it's important to have like an internal sort of uh, support network with each other to support one another uh, he makes very explicit around uh, uh, about at this point in the speech, and I'll play why that is. So our people not only have to be uh, re-educated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself has to be uh, made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least the businesses in our community, what we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the people in the community. And once you can create some some employment in the community where you live, it will eliminate the necessity of you and me having to act ignorantly and disgracefully boycotting and picketing some cracker someplace else trying to dig his for a job. Anytime you have to rely upon your enemy for a job, you're in bad shape. When you and he is your enemy, anytime you wouldn't be in this country if some enemy hadn't kidnapped you and brought you here. On the other hand, some of you think you came here on the Mayflower. (laughs) So as you can see, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, today, this afternoon, it's not our intention to discuss religion. Uh, We're going to forget religion. If we bring up religion, we'll be in an argument. And the best way to... uh, Keep away from arguments and differences. As I said earlier, put your religion at home, in the closet. Keep it between you and your God. Because if it hasn't done anything more for you than it has, you need to forget it anyway. Whether 
Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because you're blind. They don't attack me because I'm a Muslim. They attack me because I'm blind. They attack all of us for the same reason. All of us catch hell from the same enemy. We're all in the same bag, in the same boat. We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. All of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you're living in the 20th century, 1964, and you're walking around here singing, we shall overcome, the government has failed. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today is time to stop singing and start swinging. You can't sing up on freedom, but you can swing up on some freedom. Clay can sing, but singing didn't help him to become the heavyweight champion of the world. Swinging helped him. So this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we turn have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a do-it-yourself do philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, it's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Okay. Everyone hear that okay? Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot there, Fahim, right? Yes. Um, uh, so much there. One, the the callback to the, the, the ballot in the bullet sort of theme of, you know, sometimes it's not enough to just be singing and asking your oppressor to change your situation for you. Uh, sometimes you got to swing, you know? Too much singing, not enough swinging. Uh, but also this this really deep understanding of uh, the government as a as a source of uh, not really being your friend, but uh, something that will fail you. And that uh, he gets into it a lot more later in the speech and gets a lot more specific. But talking about the um, the degree to which uh, any time that you as a, a people are having to go around begging the government for rights already, uh, then the government has failed. Uh, I don't know what else you wanted to add to that. but 
Well, so a few things. First of all, on the delivery of his uh, speech, where he initially mentions uh, that, okay, he's in uh, the presence of uh, different ministers and all, but he is also talking the language of the common people. He doesn't hesitate for one second to just drop uh, <laughs> the word, like, well, anytime you have to go begging a cracker for a job. So, right. so it's something uh, from his delivery is he is talking across class lines. He is not, uh, I know it was a different time, but I, he is not like, oh my God, what are these people going to think of if I drop this word or that uh, right. uh, word? He he is talking the language of uh, of everybody. I mean, the guy could debate with the intellectuals to uh, somebody from uh, or talk street uh, language yeah. so uh, he 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 was part of and i think he does that because he's part of that world before yeah. uh becoming like this academic for those who aren't familiar with uh, malcolm x's history a short history is you know when he was coming up he he had uh, he was involved in some crime he was involved in sort of the the fast sort of lifestyle, uh, had some connection with the streets, and went to prison, began reading, and but educated he himself. Prison, uh, he went to prison for sleeping with a white woman. Oh, that, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, pimpin' pimpin'. Uh, Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, baby. It is what it is. Uh, but yeah, so but, but the fact that he went to prison for that, uh, obviously ridiculous, but um, yeah, getting to prison and then educating yourself and coming out and being able to go toe to toe with all the most intellectual elites. Uh, he he's in a unique position of being able to make these arguments, uh, kind of see the structure from like a a, a critical standpoint that maybe someone who was a dedicated academic in uh, politics could maybe see it uh, and also not lose how that structure is connected to the lives of everyday people and the language that they speak. Um, so his delivery too, I'm glad you brought that up, but his delivery is um, he's obviously speaking to these people. Uh, now the other thing is, so the parts that I found uh, analogous of uh, where he mentions whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or a nationalist, we all have the same problem. They don't hang you because you're a Baptist. They hang you because you're black. I've uh, listened to it like almost a hundred times now. So I can, <laughs> I pretty yeah. much memorized the speech. Yeah. So, but that is analogous, uh, uh, like uh, from a perspective of like when we, when people challenge power, whether it's the uh, Stephen Donzigers or the Julian right. Assange's uh, and all, they don't hang you because you're uh, a Australian or a whatever Donziger is from New Yorker or uh, whoever, uh, American. They hang you because you are challenging politics. I mean, right. challenging power. And that is the part where, like, I, when I listen to the whole speech, that is the part that I find so amazing it is so throughout the last six decades which is why i'm like okay it is such a critical speech so no i think that's i think that's 100 percent correct and um 
you know, that, that, uh, that insight, um, again, it makes it when you can, when you're able to have those kinds of insights politically, it makes it even more important that you're able to communicate them in a way that is digestible or at least understandable by the people you're trying to talk to. And I think that's what made Malcolm X a, uh, you know, such a, such an X factor, um, in delivering these kinds of speeches. Uh, and as he goes on, he, he, he spends a significant amount of time after this, uh, noting a couple things. He first says 1964 is an election year when all the white political crooks will be right back in your and my community with their false promises that they don't intend to keep. Uh, and he spends a significant amount of time dismantling the distinctions between political allies and political foes, uh, pulling back the curtain that purports to separate good Democrats or good politicians from bad politicians, and kind of explaining that to him, good Democrats and bad Democrats are one and the same because they serve the same master which is that Americanism, that, that American imperialism, that American tyranny, that, that, that uh, sort of um, protection of power. And he talks about how the good Democrats will run cover for the bad Democrats. The good politicians, the so-called good politicians who are on your side, will run cover for the, uh, the bad politicians. And uh, I, I, there's a couple of clips here I want to play that, that have to do with that. So this is the Northern Democrats are in cahoots with the Southern Democrats. That's exactly where I'm going is the the cahoots. So uh, first I'll I'll play this one, which is just him talking about, this is Malcolm X talking about his, his, where he's, his political insights are coming from and kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier about how he came up on the streets, but then, you know, just learned as he was doing. And also he, in this part too, Malcolm X is also, before he talks about the Northern Democrats being in cahoots with the Southern Democrats, he talks specifically about, uh, he dispels this notion that violence should never be a tool or a, a consideration for people who are wanting to have a revolution. And he calls back to the American revolution. He quotes Patrick Henry says, hey, Patrick Henry said, had, Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. George Washington said, you know, fuck this, get out of my house. That's not exactly what George Washington said, but the same, you know, the same vibes. And he, he talks about how, uh, how curious it is that the American power structure will speak to him and other black nationalists. And suddenly, in this country where violence was necessary for them to gain their independence, for them to gain their worth, for them to create their country, that same country will suddenly say, well, violence is never the answer. Violence is never necessary. So he's, he's calling out that contradiction. I want to I get to that before we get to the cahoots part. But here, here's a clip of uh, Malcolm X speaking about that. And George Washington wasn't nothing nonviolent about old Pat or George Washington. Liberty or death was what brought about the freedom of whites in this country from the English. They didn't care about the odds, but they faced the wrath of the entire British Empire. 
And in those days, they used to say that the British Empire was so vast and so powerful when the sun, the sun would never set on it because of how big it was. Yet these 13 little scrawny states, tired of taxation without representation, tired of being exploited and, and oppressed and degraded, told that big British empire, liberty or death. And here you have 22 million Afro-American black people today catching more hell than Patrick Henry ever saw. in this country who don't care anything whatsoever about us. They don't want to hear you old Uncle Tom handkerchief heads talking about uh, the honest. No. This is a new generation. If they're going to draft these young black men and send them over to Korea or South Vietnam to face 800 million Chinese. You shouldn't be afraid of these eyes. Why is America, why does this loom to be such an explosive political year? Because this is the year of politics. This is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro community. You never see them until election time. You can't blame them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a re Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American. And got sense enough to know. I'm one of the 22 million black victims of the Democrats. One of the 22 million black victims of the Republicans and one of the 22 million black victims of Americanism. And when I speak, I don't speak as a Democrat or a Republican. I speak as a victim of America's so-called democracy. You and I have never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. When we open our eyes today and look around America, we see America not through the eyes of someone who has, who has enjoyed the fruits of Americanism. We see America through the eyes of someone who has been the victim of Americanism. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it. And I'm not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black. So that's, again, um, a lot of that's pretty self-explanatory. But I... I I think it's really important. I don't know. X for me. Um, 
this is one of the speeches that really convinced me about not necessarily the need for violence, but the the how people telling you that that tool is off the table can be a uh, another method of control, how it can be uh, disingenuous, how it can be uh, used in such a way as to be aimed at disempowering you. And that's, I think, I think that's fair. You know, I think that's a fair argument from him. And I think it's important to notice that even if you still decide to do a full pacifist run through, uh, if you're playing through this game, full pacifist, God bless you, go for it. Uh, But know that I think it's important to, to look at how, that tool has been used and at this time was being used against, uh, you know, black people for generations. And now it's being used against people like Stephen Donzinger. It's being used against Julian Assange. It's being used against people who challenge power. And they want to tell you that, well, violence is never the answer. They're using violence right now. And I'm not advocating for violence even. But this is what convinced me to say, hey, well... That's a good ass point. I don't know how to refute that point. Fahim, do you do you have any any thoughts on that? Well, okay. So uh, before we get into the uh, 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 to the point on uh, that, there was a, a segment where he mentions about uh, that. Okay, uh, it's not enough to do a sit in. It's not enough. Uh, a chump can sit. A coward can sit. An old lady can sit there alone. Mm-hmm. It castrates you. It. it so when I read that, part of me thinks of like, okay, how many petitions do we do? How many uh, right. uh, uh, things that we would do online? How has that uh, changed? And there is a tremendous value to in-person uh, uh, standing up. And yeah. that is... That was a huge point. And the other thing of where he starts uh, talking uh, about the fact of like, if you don't care about those odds, you shouldn't care about these uh, odds. So when I um, look at uh, the analogy to right now, I'm like, okay, how many people are getting jailed? How many people cannot own homes? How many people are losing everything because of their medical bills? And so it's like, okay, if you don't care about those odds, then why not stand up and all about what do you care about these odds? And that right. that is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going into analogies because to me, uh, I, I, just a brief history of I, I am one of those weirdos of when who watches a movie or so I'm going to go and Google and then search who this person is and who that person is. Or if, if I read an article, where do they come from? What, who they're, right. ba- who's backing up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so when I first saw the movie uh, uh, Malcolm X and at that point I'm like okay I started researching and I came across the speech and I'm uh, and but and as many people I've asked I'm like have you heard of this speech hardly anybody has 
uh, or very few people have, or they like, okay, yes, we've heard it, uh, but we never listened uh, to it and all. And everybody's saying, I have a dream uh, thing. And in that also is just one line. Uh, right. So right. to me, uh, the power of this speech is how analogous it is to this uh, day, uh, to every uh, thing. So, um, so yeah, so that, that was my, uh, main thing of when he was talking about the odds, I'm like, okay, even right now, I'm like, what are the, uh, odds if you're well, not afraid he, of those? Right. He, if you're not afraid, I mean, he talks too about it's, it's, it's so much of it is analogous today, especially in the odds portion. He talks about, uh, Hey, I know that these, uh, white people have nuclear bombs, but a bunch of Viet Cong running through the jungles just whooped him. Uh, he talks about the battle that the French had at like Beyond Dao or something like that. No, no, Some... Dem Dem Fu. Dem Dem Fu. Okay, sorry. I just said something just like super racist. <laughs> What's Beyond Dao? What the fuck is that? Did I just make up words? Anyway, the the you battle that they had in, in um, had Vietnam. This morning. You, had you said what? This, you had banh me for lunch probably. Yeah. Just, <laughs> probably, just... I did. <laughs> But he talks about this battle of, you know, the French being repelled there by uh, the troops that were in Vietnam. He talks about uh, guerrilla warfare. He has this whole bit about how, um, you know, the white man can't fight guerrilla warfare, which is hilarious and somewhat ironic, too, because, you know, like Revolutionary War was kind of guerrilla warfare. But, you know, maybe they forgot. They must have forgot because, you know, like other people have now taken that mantle. But if you look at how he says, well, even with their nukes, they couldn't stop Viet Cong. They couldn't stop guerrilla warfare. So how they want you to think that they're unbeatable too, but he likes the odds. And it's funny when you, when you put that to today and you look at the Taliban and like the Taliban took all this terror, this money and all these resources that went to eliminating terrorism probably just made more, probably just created more terrorists. And here we are. With with trillions of dollars in debt, um, just everything, 20 plus years wasted, all the lives that we took and the lives that we sacrificed for what? And here we are again. So when he talks about these odds, I kind of, it, it's, it is weird how, how much they relate to today. And also speaking of other things that relate to today, um, we're talking about the people who are uh, the Southern Democrats and the Northern Democrats being in cahoots with one another. So a little background for people. Um, Strom Thurmond back in the day, uh, one of the people who was filibustering this bill, and again, a racist, uh, was originally a Democrat and Democrats around this time, many of them who were uh, uh, Southern Democrats were very big segregationists. Obviously, if you look at the South if you look at the people who wanted segregation, who segregation was even like enforced, uh, it was in the South. So if you were a Democratic politician there, you were more often than not a segregationist. Um, and and what's what's interesting is the Northern Democrats at this time, a lot of them were not segregationists, but yet they're both Democrats, yet they're both part of the same political machine and they're all friends, they're all homies, they're in cahoots with one another. And Malcolm X starts to speak about how this is a ploy 
to get you to think that Democrats are even worth voting for or that. Um, and again, when we when we're saying Democrats here, I'm not just saying like just politicians generally. OK, because we all know Republicans are bad right now. So I don't want it to get played and people say, well, all the parties are the same, yada, yada, yada. But they are in the sense that they're all doing a political con game. And I want to play this clip of um, Malcolm X talking about that. Today, look around America. We see America not through the eyes of someone who has who has enjoyed the fruits of Americanism. We see America through the eyes of someone who has been the victim of Americanism. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. We haven't benefited from America's democracy. We've only suffered from America's hypocrisy. And the generation that's coming up now can see it and are not afraid to say it. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you... Sorry, wrong clip. Here's a clip. I was like, oh, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't do it. Doesn't, they don't do it that way. They got a thing that they call gerrymandering. They, they maneuver you out of power. Even though you can vote, they fix it so you vote for nobody. They got you going and coming. In the South, they're outright political wolves. In the North, they're political foxes. A fox and a wolf are both canine. Both belong to the dog family. Choice. You're going to choose a northern dog or a southern dog. Because even the dog you choose, I guarantee you, you'll still be in the doghouse. This is why I say it's the ballot or the vote. It's liberty or death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. America today finds herself in a unique situation. Historically, revolutions are bloody. Oh, yes, they are. They have never had a bloodless revolution or a nonviolent revolution. That don't happen even in Hollywood. You don't have a revolution in which you love your enemy. And you don't have a revolution in which you are begging the system of exploitation to integrate you into it. Revolutions overturn systems. Revolutions destroy systems. A revolution is bloody. But America is in a unique position. She's the only country in history in a position actually to become involved in a bloodless revolution. The, Re the Russian revolution was bloody. Chinese revolution was bloody. French revolution was bloody. Cuban revolution was bloody. And there was nothing more bloody than the American revolution. But today, this country can become involved in a revolution that won't take bloodshed. All she's got to do is give the black man in this country everything he's doing. Everything. And I'll pause for a bit there says all it's got to do is give the black man 
in this country, everything that's due him. And again, for our modern context, think of it as the, the working class. All America's got to do is actually give people in the working class what's due to them. The fruits of their labor, uh, some ownership of the means of production, etc. But I think uh, I, I want to expand a little bit more on some of the stuff that Malcolm X says in the speech about how the Northern Democrats are in cahoots with the Southern Democrats. You heard a little bit in that speech there, but he also says, uh, quote, these Northern Democrats are in cahoots with the Southern Democrats. They're playing a giant con game, a political con game. You know how it goes. One of them, one of them comes to you and makes you believe he's for you. And he's in cahoots with the other one that's not for you. Why? Because neither of them is for you but they got to make you go with one of them or the other. So this is a con game. And this is what they've been doing with you and me for all these years. First thing Johnson, and this is President Johnson at the time, first thing Johnson got off the plane when he become president, he asked, where's Dickie? You know who Dickie is? Dickie is old Southern cracker Richard Russell. Look here, yes. Lyndon B. Johnson's best friend is the one who is the head, who's heading the forces that are filibustering the civil rights legislation. You tell me, how in the hell is he going to be Johnson's best friend? How can Johnson be his friend and your friend too? Now that man is tricky, too tricky, especially if his friend is still old Dickie. And I think that's, that's something that needs to be understood more and more in the modern context. And we can look at that and we'll, we'll talk about this more Fahim after uh, we, we get through the last bits of the speech, but you can look at that a lot in a lot of the criticism of the squad, you know, uh, Johnson calling uh, Linda B. Johnson or calling uh, Russell, uh, Richard, Richard Russell, Russell Richard Russell, uh, Dickey having this nice nickname, when I heard this again, Fahim, and I, I don't know how you how you felt, but when I was listening to this again yesterday and again today, I couldn't help but think of AOC calling Nancy Pelosi Mama Bear. And how many of the critiques of the squad, especially with the force of the vote uh, conversation, how many of the critiques of the squad were about how the squad is really running cover for these Democrats who don't actually want to pass Medicare for all. And if they're friends with and running cover for the people who don't want to pass legislation that's going to help you, that's going to help the working people who are at the ballot, who they depend on to get to, 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 to get into office, who can leverage their power by voting as a block and need the change, if they're not going to help them, um, then what's the difference between the Nancy Pelosi's and the, and the AOC's? They're and in cahoots with them. They're in cahoots. And, yes. and it's, it's, you know, and I know, like, I know people feel differently about AOC and everything. And look, I, you're welcome to feel entitled to how you feel, but it's, it's difficult for me to listen to the speech and not see the parallels of what's happening today, of how there are, uh, um, that when it comes down between being my friend and being Nancy Pelosi's friend. They're picking Nancy Pelosi every time. They've picked Nancy Pelosi every time. They're, they're, that's the friend, right? In the same way that 
that uh, Malcolm X is asking here, how can Linda B. Johnson be friends with this fucking racist who is leading a filibuster to stop black people from getting rights in this country and then also be friends with you, the black people? How is that fucking possible? It's not. And that's, I think to me, that was, um, it's just worth going back over that uh, in this speech and 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 really emphasizing that. Um, well, Go not ahead. only that, but the uh, part before that, where uh, mm-hmm. he uh, says, if I remember it correctly, uh, that he says that the first thing uh, the cracker does when he comes into uh, power is he takes these Negro leaders and invites them for a cup of coffee because yep. they cannot reject the coffee. Yes, uh, yes. And- Yes. To me, when I see uh, like all of these uh, squads and all, it's like, well, y- you you were invited for a cup of coffee. You couldn't mm-hmm. reject the coffee, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, so yeah. So that was another analogy that I uh, saw in that speech, and and I'm, once again, that's the brilliance of that speech. It's it's it's. It's really great. I'm I'm actually copying that part now and putting it in the chat. Um, oh, can I not even do it? I don't know what's going on with my thing. Um, but I'll, I'll read it real quick. Uh, so the it's talking about how. Look, the you got like a president who's a Southern segregationist from the state of Texas. They'll lynch you in Texas. As quick as they'll lynch you in Mississippi, only in Texas they lynch you with a Texas Texas accent, and in Mississippi they lynch you with a Mississippi accent. And then it goes, and the first thing the cracker does when he comes in power, he takes all them Negro leaders and invites them for coffee to show that he's all right. And those Uncle Toms can't pass up the coffee. They come away from the coffee table telling you and me that this man is all right because he's from the South. And since he's from the South, He can deal with the South. Look at the logic that they're using. What about Eastland? And I can't remember who Eastland is. I think he's a brother. He he was the brother who, um, a reverend who was a, uh, I think a black civil rights leader, Schnarf or someone will know, um, who was also from the South, who was challenging uh, uh, American power at that time, if I remember right, but it's, it's been years. But he says, remember, they tell you this man is all right, because he's from the South, and since he's from the South, he can deal with the South. Look at the logic they're using. What about Eastland? He's from the South. Make him president. He can. If Johnson is a good man because he's from Texas, and being from Texas will enable him to deal with the South, Eastland can deal with the South better than Johnson. Oh, I say you've been misled. You've been had. You've been took. And uh, I just love that shit. I, I, I really do love it. Um, and he's right. You know, he's really right. He, I want to get to the end of this speech, uh, finish up. There's only a few more, uh, little clips I want to play here. And then Jade, I I, I will absolutely get to your call. Um, but he talks, you also heard Malcolm X talk there about how there'd never been a bloodless revolution. But then he says, America is actually in a position right now to where they can have a bloodless revolution. But they have to give, they have to pay what they owe. They have to give the oppressed peoples what they're owed. They have to be given power. They have to be given leverage over their communities. Um, 
And that's the way that's, that would be the only way the ballot could work here. And he, he then goes on to talk about how the government is particularly failing people. And he characterizes the failure, how, how, how people in the government will try to characterize the failure of the government by the seg- by pointing to the segregationists in Congress. But how in truth, a failure of the a failure of the government due to segregationists in Congress who are holding up the legislation for being passed is a failure of the government. That's what it is. If your government has segregationists or has people, pro-capitalists who are trying who you can't get a $15 minimum wage passed because they they're holding it up. Even if it's a small group of them, even if it's one Senator Manchin, that's a failure of your fucking government. Still the same. And and it has to be viewed instead of like an isolated failure attributable to one person in Congress or a couple people in Congress. It has to be viewed as a systemic failure, a failure of the system to provide for the people who voted the motherfuckers in to begin with. So I want to go to that. Um so that part before, so yeah, go ahead. I'm uh, assuming you're talking about the part where he, he says that this is a, uh, uh, the senators who are filibustering concerning your uh, rights. Uh, that's the government. Don't, don't say it's the southern uh, senators. Mm-hmm. This is the government, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Right. That's right. That's right, Fahim. Man, you really do have this memorized. Oh, everyone, sh- give, give a big shout out to Fahim for uh, <laughs> memorizing one of the badass, most badass speeches of all time. From watching the Malcolm X movie, man, mm, tell me Hollywood ain't radical. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Voting means discipline. And when the sun comes down, goes down, and it dies, it's even Stevens. of the speech, Fahim, but I think that one might be my favorite part. Um, I just think it's 
you know, sometimes living in America, there are so many like meta narratives going on and these sort of uh, propagandistic from the, from the time you come into this country and probably any country, but I only live here so I can only speak to it. But as soon as you come in, there's the way that certain conversations are framed is in and of itself can be at least propaganda. And the fact that all we ever hear about whenever something doesn't get passed uh, with the CARES Act, for example, and the Build Back Better plan, all we ever hear about is Senator Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Senator Manchin, Kristen Cinema. Senator Manchin, Kristen Cinema. Holding the country hostage. How dare they? It's a con game. It's a con game because you forget already there's like 50 of the motherfucking Republicans over there not doing shit already. Right, so that's already. If it is Senator Manchin and Kristen Cinema too, let's just let's just play pure numbers. If Senator Manchin and Kristen Cinema are the two holding it up, that means fifty-two percent at the very at the at the, at the at, you know, even if we're going for those numbers, fifty-two percent of your government doesn't give a fuck about you, doesn't want to do shit, right? So that's already the majority that's there. But even still. The idea that, like, we're not using uh, useful villains of the day, you know, these sort of narratives that you don't really see on mainstream media, which is a problem. It's a problem because you have to understand, like, just hearing from the speech that, like, oh, I never even thought that perhaps the fact that something isn't getting done is because all of these other politicians are posturing that they want to do something but they are relying on the convenient villainy of uh, Mansion or Cinema, or they're working directly with Mansion and Cinema to put all of the uh, heat on one or two people, so that everyone's faith in the government doesn't c- completely collapse for the whole institution. So you have a convenient scapegoat, and I mean that's uh, that kind of terrifies me. If I'm being honest, like that's that's a terrifying thought. And the fact that it's a thought that's being expressed same uh, in the same way in 1964 by Malcolm X should be troubling to people. I mean, I don't know how you um, how you feel about Fahim or if you want to add anything. No, I I do feel it's uh, super troubling and especially I, I and I said this on well, first time I ever spoke to Bria, I'm like, you're talking about a highly armed society uh, yeah. over here. And to me, uh, I've worked with a lot of uh, special forces guys who uh, would always uh, say that, you know what, fame, if there's enough bullets coming at you, uh, one of them is going to have your number. And so to me, uh, I'm like, okay, when I see this frustration of, um, with uh, people and considering that we are such a armed uh, society uh it's it will reach a a time uh, pretty soon where it is going to be the literally the ballot or the bullet and uh, as you mentioned of uh just from a working uh, class perspective uh of uh, like okay all you got it america is in a unique position uh to give the working people uh, what's due. Uh, 
to him. And that is, once again, going back to the beauty of the speech that is timeless. It, 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 it's, yes, it, 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 yes, yes. I, I mean, all of that. I, I, I think the, it's the unique position thing that I think is really interesting about Malcolm too, because he's never, he was never one to really give America credit. You know, he's not, he's not out here trying to like, um, um, uh, like pat America on the back and tell it it's done a good job. Uh, but for him to even acknowledge, you know, he's, he's pretty sober-minded with this stuff. I, I really think he was. He was, I think, in a lot of ways, one of the more accurate uh, sort of uh, had one of the more accurate diagnoses of American power, of tyrannical sort of capitalist power. He he just he understood it, and for him to say that America's in a unique position to where it doesn't have to go that way even though every other revolution has been bloody, I think that also is very interesting because it means there's, I don't know if that's hope or if that's just time. Um, but either way, I, I find that fascinating. And um, what was the, the I was going to play his conclusion. And also uh, he talks about how we, we have a need to expose our politicians on a world stage. To, to try them in the courts of basically the UN or the world, the public eye. Because when the criminals against you are your government, when the people actually, you know, participating in the heist to take your wealth, to take your labor, to take to to take your health care are, are members of the government, well then you don't bring a criminal to a courtroom run by criminals, you don't bring, uh, you don't try criminals before their peers. You try them before the courts. So this idea that we there's a there's a necessity to create a spectacle or at least to create like a a need to blast these motherfuckers on a world stage, to put them in front of the UN, to put them in, in front of like all the eyes of the people. Uh, I find that to be a really good insight. Um, and Derek, I think the song you're thinking about that started with Malcolm X, if it was on this show, it was definitely um, 1,000 Deaths from D'Angelo. Um, but there's a lot of songs that sample Malcolm in the beginning. Um, but uh, Fahim, do you have any any other thoughts with that? No, he when he mentions uh, he, he's, what he says is that you don't take your case to the criminal, you take uh, your criminal to court. Right. And, <clears throat> so, uh, and you made the point really well of like, you put light on the situation uh, uh, in, in front of uh, uh, people. You don't go and start, uh, you don't go and uh, start begging for right. a job uh, of what he said earlier. It's, it's right. a, a similar uh, uh, situation. Uh, so, uh, and when he uh, mentions uh, the uh, part of uh, uh, 
uh, of like Chief Justice Goldberg uh, going to the UN uh, for uh, uh, Jewish people in Russia, where uh, we are catching 22 million Black Americans are catching hell uh, mm -hmm. in uh, the U.S. Uh, and that part to me was like, okay, um, why uh, right now also can uh, when we talk uh, about oh rights of uh, women here and uh, they are being trampled uh, and all and then we forget about uh, uh, the fact of like you have uh, women's right to choose being taken uh, away uh, over uh, in the u.s and that uh, to me is like ridiculous uh, of uh, what uh, we're doing in, in the uh, US doesn't get highlighted or does, there's no like teeth behind it. Uh, but all of a sudden we have teeth behind when something happens in some other part of uh, the world. That's the American hypocrisy. So, so it's Ukraine, right? It's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well said. Just well said. Um, let's let's get to Malcolm's conclusion. And then uh, I have some thoughts about more of how a lot of the speech relates to modern day. And I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts about that. And maybe some callers will have some thoughts about that. And I'd, I'd really like to discuss that, too. Um, but I I, I, I want to get to Malcolm's kind of conclusion here. And really, I, I will put a link to this, um, the ballot or the bullet in the chat, uh, just so anyone, you know, if you have an hour or if you want to listen to it on double time or whatever you do, you crazy kids out there uh, with your political knowledge, if you, whatever, if you want to listen to it at some point, I, it's really worth listening to. Malcolm is a much better speaker than I will ever be. Than please do, please do. Mo please than listen. most anyone will ever be. It is, it is incredible his ability to match, uh, sort of information and 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 just very poignant political points with a rhetoric that just hypes you up. It's fucking incredible, um, and in some ways it feels like a lost art, but. I want to get to his conclusion in the speech because he goes back to talking about the need for unity and how our unity united against a common enemy is so important because part of the strategy of how uh, the American capitalist structure maintains its power is it keeps us bickering amongst ourselves and I want to I, I want to let him speak a little more to it. I'm going to go to that part, uh, and we'll I'll play that now. When you go to a church and you see the pastor of that church with a philosophy and a program that's designed to bring black people together and elevate black people, join that church. Join that church. 
If you see where the NAACP is preaching and practicing that which is designed to uh, make white nationalism materialize, join the NAACP. Join any kind of organization, civic, religious, fraternal, political, or otherwise, that's based on lifting the black man up and making him master of his own community. in your vocabulary. Uh, one more thing. I was on a program in uh, Illinois recently with Senator Paul Douglas, a so-called liberal, so-called Democrat, so-called white man. Uh, at, at, at which time he told me that our African brothers were not interested in us in Africa. He said... And actually, let me go to this part. Sorry. This is the... I, I started at a different part. So this will give a little more context, right? With the blood dripping down his jaws like a bloody jawed wolf. And still got the nerve to point his finger at other countries. You can't even get civil rights legislation. And this man has got the nerve to stand up and talk about South Africa. Or talk about Nazi Germany. Or talk about Portugal. No, no more days like those. So I say in my conclusion, the only way we're going to solve it, we got to unite in unity and harmony. And black nationalism is the key. How are we going to uh, overcome the tendency to be at each other's throats that always exists in our neighborhood? And the reason this tendency exists, the uh, strategy of the white man has always been divide and conquer. He keeps us divided in order to conquer us. He tells you I'm for separation and you for integration and keep us fighting with each other. No, I'm not for separation and you're not for integration. What you and I are for is freedom. <laughs> Only you think that integration will get you freedom. I think separation will get me free. We both got the same objective. We just got different ways of getting at it. Um, so if you didn't hear, or, or just to reemphasize... Uh, he says, he keeps us divided in order to conquer us. He tells you, I'm for separation and you're for integration. To keep us fighting with each other. No, I'm not for separation and you're not for integration. What you and I are for is freedom. What you and I are for is freedom. Only you think that you get freedom through integration. I think we get it through separation. We both got the same objective. We just got different ways of getting at it. Um, coming from Malcolm X at this time, uh, understanding that while he was with the Nation of Islam, this maybe was not something he would have said before. Um, I don't know if he would have gone that same way. I don't know. I, I highly doubt he would have believed in this. And even the point, you know, to some extent, maybe the point's arguable. But understanding 
that the divisive, the, 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 the tendency or the, the strategy for power to divide us over little infighting when we both have the same goal, the, the tendency for power to stop any sort of coalition from building, especially when that coalition building is the only thing that can actually challenge power. That's, you can't forget that. Even if you think that you have actual uh, huge differences with your other leftists, when we're talking about this force the vote shit, um, which just to be on the record, I think Brianna Joy Gray's view of it is right. I think forcing people to to do the vote is right, especially given how, uh, you know, when we listen to Malcolm X, how much these uh, Southern Democrats and Northern Democrats are in cahoots with one another, how much these uh, political actors all want to pose that they're different, but they achieve the same ends over and over and over again. And the same ends just always happen to hurt you, just always happen to hurt the ones you love, just always happen to deny the people that you care about health care rights. And it just always happens to collude that way, right? Even given that, even given that we could have a difference over the strategy of force the vote, if you are still sitting here bickering, if you are more concerned about protecting your own reputation from, uh, you know, whatever opinion you had on that strategy, if you're more concerned with that than understanding who the enemy is, understanding that we actually need to get health care, then you're fucking up. You're fucking up and you've become, you've become a tool of that system that degrades you and that is in power and that has been exploiting you this whole time. Congratulations. You are now a useful idiot. Congratulations. You have done nothing. You're doing nothing. Which is why if, sometimes keep that shit at home. Keep it the fuck at home. Like, to the extent, like, uh, the, the goal, again, is freedom. The goal is freedom in a, in a real way. The ability to actually have control over your own lives. To actually have control over your own time. To actually be able to live. To not have to, I mean, like, shit. I'm, I'm dating a doctor right now. She's cool as fuck. And she's telling me about people who have not been in the doctor's office, they come in for the first time in 50 years and they're all fucked up. And then they're going to die. Just like that. You know? Like, I don't know, man. It's just like, look, we, we have to have, if you, if you're going to call yourself a revolutionary, if you're going to believe in like an actual changing of the system, if you're going to uh, uh, commit yourself to the struggle, to a, to an actual struggle, then one, I think from this we learn that you got to be ready to uh, get down when when shit goes down. Now that doesn't mean you got to be ready for violence or anything like that, but you at least got to be ready to sacrifice your life, if nothing else which is wild to say, which is fucking crazy to think about, but it's the truth. You know, he, a lot of what Malcolm is, ta is talking about here is reminiscent of, uh, or, or Huey P. Newton ends up expanding on it with, with his works of revolutionary suicide, 
of what that means. It's it's the odds that you're facing are are nuts. They're they're already astronomically against you, but and the powers that be are trying to divide you along the way. But the if the goal is truly freedom, then what? Be ready to pay the cost. And then two, uh, don't fucking lose sight of what you're fighting for to begin with, of what the actual enemy is. You can't suddenly find yourself, you know, like, I, I like Ben Burgess. I'm disappointed in him. I'm fucking disappointed in, in Ben Burgess right now, uh, if I'm just being honest. I think it's it, it pains me that someone who talks about socialism, the need for healthcare, has been in a lot of debates and done things so, you know, whatever, like, has has done a lot for bringing at least leftist exposure to to different spaces where maybe it wouldn't have seen the light of day. It just pains me that so much of what seems to be the concern here is debating people on the strategy of force the vote. We saw that it worked. We saw what happened. The The squad fucked up. They didn't do enough. And that's been proven out. We literally have the data now. It's not even an argument anymore. And here he is. And here people are trying to like have debates with Brianna Joy Gray or with Jimmy Dore. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? Guys, we're losing the plot. You're losing the plot and you still don't have health care. If, if we cannot, if, and look, that's not a religion. It shouldn't be a religion. You know, if Malcolm X, after being with Nation of Islam, can come over here after a month, one motherfucking month, and be able to come hand in hand to realize that we're fighting the same enemy and get him and all of his supporters and everyone there too, his friends who are in the crowd and his enemies to deliver this speech to them and get them refocused. What the fuck are y'all doing? Guys, like, please, please, please act like you give a fuck. Please act like this actually fucking matters to people. Okay? Because no one's going to give a fuck about a force the vote conversation when they're in a fucking medical ward terminal and they can't pay. Get on board for fuck's sake. All of us. And like for people who are, you know, like I'm not trying to, everyone deserves their victory lap and shit too. But don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of the target. Don't lose sight of who's actually, why this conversation even had to come up to begin with. And the conversation had to come up to begin with because motherfuckers were not giving you Medicare. We're not giving you healthcare. We're not giving you a $15 minimum wage. Because motherfuckers who we elect are all Kristen Cinema, are all Joe Manchin, are all in cahoots with one another, protecting the interest of power and making a nice little bitch-ass cocoon around it, okay? Like, please, motherfuckers, do not lose the plot. That's all I'm saying. A little bit of a rant, Fahim, just go ahead. That's, I'll, I'm going to step back. I would, I would love to hear what you had to say. No, uh, in conclusion, I mean, I would <clears throat> highly recommend, I mean, listen to the whole speech, uh, yeah. listen uh, and try to think of uh, the analogies uh, to uh, this uh, day. And uh, it's, and also try to think of 
like when we get into these conversations of uh, basically getting upset over somebody using the wrong pronoun and all of like okay they're not uh, uh, with us a thing and 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 st- stuff like uh, when he mentions about re-education i know uh, right. derek over here and i really appreciate him bringing up uh, the point uh, time and again of of like education system education uh, system uh, and all and the part that sunk to me uh sunk in uh, me beforehand was the part of where malcolm uh, talks about re-education and it's the same thing that derek has uh, uh, mentioned so um, there are many parts of the speech that are very very analogous to us and let's uh, take that uh, that and move on move from uh, there i mean yes. it, it, it is it's something that i think uh is really important and i think i personally i think it is worth uh, sharing like i shared with one of my friends who's a really high up in a telecom uh communication in uh, europe and uh, a company from uh, europe and even she was like wow i mean the guy has some amazing uh, uh, uh i mean most of it is all yes. amazing uh, points the, the, uh, the, so- the dude makes sense like i've never heard someone listen to malcolm x who wasn't just a hater and listen to a speech and get all the way through and be like well he doesn't know what he's talking about the dude always makes he makes sense right that's what i love about it but um yeah spread that message spread the gospel <laughs> Go forth ye and spread thy word. Um, but let's listen to uh, Jonathan and Schnarf because uh, both of them have all, uh, I've always been really impressed by both of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's go ahead and start taking callers. And Fahim, I just want to thank you again for, uh, please everyone, thumbs up in the chat for Fahim for both reminding me of the speech, uh, suggesting, texted me, suggesting that we, we, we do an episode about it. Uh, and recognizing the parallels between this speech and our current situation today and realizing that there's something to be learned from here. Uh, we, there's something to be gleamed from going back over this. So Fahim, thank you. No, best. thank you by for bringing, you're the shit. for bringing it up. Cause I mean, you've always been a really eloquent uh, speaker. So uh, thank you for uh, doing this. Yeah. Well, calling me an eloquent speaker after hearing Malcolm X is like, I, I don't, well, I don't okay. know if anyone could be that. <laughs> that guy is woo, whoo! Like holy but let's, shit. But let's uh, let, listen let, to uh, Jonathan and Schnarf. Yeah, for sure. Jonathan, what's happening, man? How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? Well, the words "in cahoots" bothered me a little bit because. Mm. It's like, I mean, I know what you mean, but I, I think it was in Amanda's or Rudy's room yesterday or the day before I was talking about that Iowa marijuana lobby again. And it's mm-hmm. not like old school bribery or threats behind closed doors or corruption 
it's the difference in corruption and ideology. These people are pre-selected because they're no threat to that order. They're pre-selected for their religious belief against, um, practically religious belief against marijuana to keep, you know, because Chevron would lose money if all the people started growing pot instead of corn and they couldn't reap sure. the subsidy surplus, right? Sure. So it's like to say that there's a, in terms of the authenticity of the individual, there's never been less of that kind of corruption. But like what they see in these people is people who don't understand how the system works. And what they see in us is people who can't know, we don't know a good thing when we see it anyway. There's actually yeah. never been a more broad disenfranchisement when, with the duopoly than there is right now. So in that sense, a lot of people are kind of on the same team. They don't like the Democrat versus Republican. They agree on a lot of issues. They, they're, they, don't, they don't want to keep doing this party game. But they don't know which, which issues are important. And there's just, it's a, we're divided on issues instead of political parties now. And the issues are all muddled. And it's all about, go ahead. Just when you say, um, well, I'll start here. First, if the, the, you're sort of talking about the concept of like how even the pre-filtering process with which people are allowed to become politicians or even allowed to run as a candidate is sort of uh, something that's been selected by people. Uh, people who have interest in those people becoming candidates in the first place, right? So this idea of manufacturing the consent of who ends up being uh, elected as a politician and how someone like AOC is allowed to filter through the system and allowed to sort of be um, uh, elected only really because she's kind of been pre-filtered, like selected she's by no, others. There's no threat to power. Exactly. But... And and so the the issue is well even if in her heart she's not in cahoots she doesn't believe she's doing this she doesn't she doesn't uh, feel that uh, her her feelings are genuine she doesn't actually want to screw over workers she doesn't yeah everybody want to, yeah. feel and I told the story about my ex I was like oh she had genuine feelings about the the Japanese dolphin trade and the rainforest and never, the sure. whales and eyes like the feelings were very real but she never did a goddamn thing for anything. You know, she lost her hair in solidarity with the North Dakota pipeline protest. I was like, oh, that's great for you. Like, OK, but the feeling of feelings isn't what makes you, you know what I mean? She wasn't not bullets. She wasn't ready for bullets. She wasn't ready yeah. to sacrifice even a day's comfort to actually do anything. Right. So, 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 here's, oh, so here's what I'll say to that, to the um, the, the word cahoots. If power and the preservation of power, those structures yes, yes, have already pre-filtered this candidate to get through and become a politician, then isn't that politician either, even if it's completely unwillingly and unknowingly, isn't that politician an example of power in cahoots with itself? And if that's the case, we're still attacking the same system. Which again is why I don't. I'm not a huge fan of of um, you know when I call out AOC, I'm not trying to call her out as a person. I'm really not. I think she's great. I think she's really sweet. She's got a great smile. But the level she's of funny. disappointment like, like, with I, AOC, I think she'd be cool. Is, it shows why she's not, it's important like, to make the distinction between right the two now, things because we are in whether the, she wants in the same trap that is, she's in. 
it's all about not knowing what and, to do with power if you had it, it could you know and not knowing what to expect of motherfuckers people. all over like, the place and shit that's that's like all of our politics i get that look i Yes. Well, I'm, on that one, I don't know. Because if, 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 you know, there are certain people who I understand know what to do with power, but it's, it's because they've been educated about power in a way that would not allow them to be pre-filtered out by that system, right? Um, no, I don't it, think you are. Like someone like Malcolm X. It's just Malcolm like X when we I think look at somebody like that and expect something, well. and I wonder uh, where those expectations really come from. Of it. And I can't and find I, it, it for I the think, life of me. But you know? maybe I'm like, did she like, step on you or if, if I'm That made me say this person like really that. gets it. And no, she never did. And I'm not like I was, I'm not setting some ridiculously high standard because I've heard all kinds of people who do demonstrate that sort of understanding of how power works and what ideology is and what the app what the propaganda apparatus have you think and this is all a matter of making people the same so you can sell things to them and we've this idea that like go ahead well that's power yeah Well, yeah. Well, well, that's power. And also, you know, you know, what's funny is I think I think the concept of individualism is very much a um, I'm, I'm not saying people aren't individuals or anything, but the degree to which it's it's kind of like or who they vote for is who they are in our culture is precisely because it sells more products. Right. If you can tie someone's like own existential identity to their purchasing power or what they purchase is who they are and who they are. Exactly. All of that, all of that, which is funny because that one goes a little more collectivist to some extent, like that idea of like the football team, you root for but your the, team the long aspect. Issues the aspect that people support consume, are used you know, as like signifiers for their own identity. Are, uh, but my problem Remember the first time that you heard about the People's people Party and it sounded all right, but then you go to their, their website and you hear someone talk about it. Their, and around line, what media or, or products they consume. Because it's like right? a Christmas wish list of everything um, every liberal has someone ever comes wanted. Up to you. And it, it's got no focus. And, you know, my problem uh, is never been getting right. people on board with a few ideas that are really good, whether it's like land value tax or universal basic services. They're like, you say the same thing every day, Jonathan. Yeah. Why are you true? Who are you trying to convince, Jonathan? Like, like, you know who else said the same thing every day? The people in that movie don't look up. You know what I mean? They're out there saying the same thing yeah. every day and catching shit for it. My reaction to that criticism is the same as Jennifer Lawrence's reaction to that criticism. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm- Marianne Williamson and um, Foreign Policy. Yeah. I was sort of yeah. giggling because if yeah. you just switch foreign policy for monetary policy and Marianne Williamson for the squad, we had almost the exact same fight. But her reaction was like, oh, this is just your pet issue. But it's not my pet issue. 
It's an issue that has causal primacy over mm-hmm. all other issues, including yeah. Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. Remember when Robbie was like, oh, it's the economic system in Venezuela. And not in, there was a little bit of hypocrisy there. And Steven Donziger is down there. But the only reason that situation existed in the first was that when Nick Cruz went on or I'm, I'm in okay. the United I, States I see that wouldn't exist if it weren't for the monetary system some things supervene on other things some things have causal primacy over other things so it's not my pet issue sure. it's like supervening other issues right Well, the, the point is the, the visions, like we're divided on these issues and our wish list of issues is too long. And we, this is my problem. And at the end of the day, sure, the I believe that. My I same believe problem that. with Rihanna's. It, 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 yeah, I, I believe that. I guess I'm just trying to, uh, I guess, connect it back to what X is saying. Discern. You have to say no hmm. to something you do want. And nobody's willing to do that, especially on the left. They all want every so, goddamn thing, even mm, though only the scientists choose one thing at a time. I see. And that thing that they choose first has the most systemic fallout. It's the system on which all the other systems are built. Let me ask you this then, Jonathan. Do, do... So... What, what, uh, um, a critique of Malcolm X's philosophy in this speech as well, because a, a big part of the speech is he he talks about first, you know, look, there are all these things that could divide us. Um, there are all no, these ways is, that we could perfect. be fighting My amongst ourselves. With it is it's but it's too identity built. The necessity for us to cut unify, life, to fight same power, that MLK said to fight the common enemy, his life, uh, which is when they start are what we need about- to sort of, uh, uh, you know, like uh, push towards. That's what we need to be doing because everything else is kind of bunk. Right, right. So uh, I, I do think that's one of the reasons why I think this speech is better understood yeah, it's in the modern insane. day, it's just like not in the term, not through the lens of black nationalism, although I do think, one, uh, you know, I think that it is. that's a real lens that was actually necessary the at the time Leo, and was who gives us the also of a, its own critique of power and had its own unique aspects of it to where they were actually being attacked, right? Um Catherine Leo has appearances on Jacobin and uh, a couple other podcasts. She's a oh, yeah, yeah, middle-aged yeah, Asian yeah, woman yeah, who's yeah. got some good takes on yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. 
you're, you're reminding me a little. Oh, the union. Oh, I know. That's yeah, yeah, I know. That's I know, why I know. you had yeah, to have, that's, I, you had to yes, split them yeah. up. Yeah. But those things, when you split them up. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me a lot of Adolf Reed right now, but, um, uh, yeah. Right, right. But 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 those things, when you split them up, the divisions are arbitrary, but they become real in how they play out in people's lives. Right. Which has always been I mean, that's always what racism has been in America is the the need to divide people and then the very real effects that those arbitrary divisions, even though they were arbitrary and un, like false to begin with, the very real effects that they begin to have on people's lives and their trajectories and their opportunities and whatnot. And now people, you know, if you raise people in a fantasy land where they believe that, you know, X's are better than Y's or Y's are better than X's and that's the structure that you build up, eventually that becomes a real lived experience. And to tell someone, it means that there's another layer always to have to peel back to get to the core of explaining how this illusion was used to protect power to begin with. So it's, it's, it doesn't mean that like, you know, when people talk about identity, a lot of the times I think, well, you, you can't completely askew it because if you reduce everything away from it, then what you're telling people is that how they've actually lived and the actual real experiences that they've had in their lives have not actually had any real effect. But what the real, the real trick is not that, or the, the, the truth is not that they haven't had any real effect, but that the creation of the identity to begin with was made to protect power and now it's yeah. having a real effect but the the creation itself it's not is fair. an illusion right it's not you for you to come and tell people that their identity which is very important to them is something that they need to put on the back burner and she's absolutely right it's not fair at all but it's necessary yeah. same and it's a good idea because what it means to you to be x fill in the x with your chosen identity here Yes. is very a commodity created. This is all in Edward Bernays' 1980 book entitled Propaganda, and that's not a critique. That's an instruction manual. Sure. Like sure. An, I, The identity <laughs> creation is the backbone of propaganda. But I don't think it's all... Like, it's not all based on a commodification aspect, right? Like, it, it's, it's... Like, obviously, it serves power, power. but but the... Uh, the what's it called? The 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 experience that someone has doesn't necessarily be t has to be tied to something that's trying to be sold to them, right? Like I'm black, so I like this type of music, and I like this, and I have this style, and yada yada yada. There's elements of it that are put in as well, right? But there's the 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 the, the protection of power structures is what's coming up first and foremost, if that makes sense. And then Fahim, I haven't. If you want to jump in at any time, just just let me know. But Jonathan, you got even any any parting parting shots? Even if there are elements of it that are authentic, you know, and not like complete contrivance. Or, well, let me put it this way: I I I I had a the the Gen Z flatmate a few years ago. He's twenty. He's like, "All white people are racist." And I'm like, "What do you mean? Do I have unconscious bias? Because I probably do." Although I could well, never know how does, much yeah. for sure, because that's what unconscious means, is you don't really know for sure. But my only defense is I'm just too arrogant to sit around 
and wrap myself in the, what I call it, the security blanket of my national, racial, or religious, or identity as a Green Bay Packers fan. Because that's trite. I said right, it's also fuck you. Fuck you for liking the Packers, by the way. What, what, um, whatever. Going. Like the point is, I I I did it in passing to please my father. <laughs> to to wrap themselves in the security blanket of their chosen identity, and whether or not you like that idea, if we're going to engage politically, backburnering that identity completely and everything you think it means to you to be an X is part of what universalism. And universalism is socialism. In the 19, mm. whatever, uh, 1919, in the, in the October Revolution, here's what you did not have. You didn't have a bunch of Russian Jews saying, you know what, I need every single Cossack to look at me with the same benefit of the doubt they would a member of their own family. I need them to erase unconscious bias from their psyche. And we're also going to play politics until we have equal representation. Every layer of management and every company in the entire nation all they wanted was equality under the law that's it right. that's it that's a that's not they didn't just not want the rest of those things because history wasn't ready they didn't want the rest of those things because it's ridiculous right right fair enough it's fair enough well jonathan thank you uh yes thank, thank you, you for calling in man yeah always a pleasure man staple of the Colin community. He is a pillar, a pillar of the Colin community. Everybody give it up for Schnarf. What's going I on, man? Shit. <laughs> I shit. So I, I think, I think what, okay. So Jonathan makes some really good points, but I think where Jonathan doesn't, uh, I think it's, let's refer to it as domain knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. He's talking about something and he feels it. But he doesn't have a good kind of like, I guess, I guess it's because he doesn't have experience with the nation of Islam, right? The nation of Islam is a, is a very strange kind of organization that, that grew out, out of the migration of black folks from the South into Northern cities, right? And it's very similar. It, it, it's similar to the Garvey movement. It's similar to the Moorish science te temple. And I think what really has to happen is you have to kind of get an understanding of these movements and their relationship to identity. And then you have to look at Malcolm X. So here's the thing. And I think we talked about this briefly because we were talking about the five percenters. And right. you were like, well, who the fuck are the five percenters? So let me give you a little quick story about the, the, the creation narrative <clears throat> of the nation of Islam and the five percenters. Yeah, please. There is a tribe by the name of tri the tribe of Shabazz, right? Which is not a historical thing. These are all mythical and they were made up in some fucking somebody's imagination. The tribe of Shabazz lived. They were known as the Asiatic black men and they were the original man. And as a result, there was an evil um, scientist by the name of Yakub in their midst. And he was discovered okay. to be doing treacherous shit. And they sent him to an island in the Mediterranean. On the island, he swore revenge. And for hundreds of years, he would take babies and kill them. And when he would, and if 
of a eugenic sci-fi thing going on here. Oh, and word? when the children that and this is the birth of the white man. The white man is all evil and whatever. Anyway, so long story short, the white man takes over, uh, expels the tribe of Shabazz and enslaves everybody. And for six thousand years, the uh, the the white man rules until mm-hmm. now. Nick. Oh, okay. I was going to say, now niggas is back, but that's, uh, <laughs> we back. No, but no, that, go ahead. That, that's the narrative, but that's, that's what the narrative is. So, mm. so check this out. Malcolm X, uh, his father was, they lived in the North uh-huh. and I believe he lived in Lansing, Michigan or somewhere around there. And his father right. was actually killed by the, like the, 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 the Ku Klux Klan in the North, the that's, black Legion. That's he was right. a guard. Sharp, I think Nebraska. Nebraska? Okay, was it Nebraska? Nebraska or Michigan or somewhere? It, it's somewhere, oh, but no, definitely born, killed you know, by, by the by the Klan. So he, of the Canadian border, you're in the south. Right. But the point being, the point being, his father was a Garveyite. Marcus Garvey was right. a crook, like hundred percent through and through. And he, what he did is he exploited the frustrations of black people and he created little companies and he did a lot of embezzling. He was also ferociously against the, any of the socialist movements, right? Kind of ideological grasp on people, but it was, this is where identity comes into play. It's really based on race. And then all these other movements kind of mimic themselves after after Garvey and race becomes the most pivotal element. So here's here's, I guess, the short the the short list of why the Nation of Islam is really detrimental. Nation of Islam is detrimental because it's not founded in logic or reason. It's. This narrative and flips it on its head and and just replaces it with, with black actors, right? That's the real defect in the nation of Islam. It, it, but it, again, there's some, there's, there, there is some advancements that the nation of Islam has. One, the nation of Islam has money. Two, they collectivize like no other yeah. group. Yeah, they These really motherfuckers do. will turn out. And, turn. I, and, and here's the thing. I, and, and I'm stupid. What happens? But I always end up buying their bean pies. They they make these fucking pies, and it's got like fucking like refried beans in it, and this shit is actually kind of good. Yeah, and I fucking eat it. I'm a, I must be fucking addicted to it. But either way, they know how to collectivize, and they have people that are doctors, lawyers. They got all sorts of professional people in their midst, and they generate sure. money. People fucking throw money. Yeah, they do. They do. Mm-hmm. with the nation of islam is like everything else that becomes a business and a commodity yeah it's it's intrinsically just that it's a it's a closed circuit where people are exploited and and that's why malcolm x yeah. really starts splintering off because there were there was a uh there was a woman that was knocked up by by the uh dishonorable Probably. elijah muhammad who Ooh, and then and then there was fire money Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really particularly hate Elijah Muhammad. Like, I don't have a problem with him. I don't have a problem with any of these people, actually, to be honest. Right. And, and that's, that's a miracle, right? Like, I usually have a problem with fucking everybody. Right, right. <laughs> Fair but, enough. That's true, yeah. But here, here's the thing. 
what ends up happening is what Jonathan is talking about. You have this kind of an, uh, uh, an ideological movement that's not founded in universal uh, solvency. You have you. It, right. It's it's really right. a black separation movement, and that's what that's what you hear in these speeches. He's talking about separation. What they're really fighting for is they were looking to just get a a piece of land where you know all black folks would live, and it would be a quote unquote separation of the races. And, and right. it just didn't make any sense because that's not how America fucking works, anyways. And I'll I'll put but, some. I'll defend a little bit of it. If if all you've been given in the in your own experience as a black person in the states is segregation, second-class citizenship, uh, no rights. The idea of self-determination in and of itself through your own nation sounds really good for self-determination are recognition of my humanity, of, of, of actually having power, actually having the ability to control <clears throat> the lives of, of, of my, my loved ones or to, to control my life and to prosper and, and live freely. Uh, okay. So, so this is, this is where, this is where the, where we can be smart about it. Right. Right. When, right. when, when black folk. And what ends up happening is that black people become the scabs. They become the cheap labor that replaces the, the, the native and the foreign born, and they become the enemy. And when they become the enemy, and you have bloody 1919, which I'm, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, this is where the, the... I don't know if I am. Wait, but, you're not familiar with 1919? 1919 is, is probably one of the worst years in America where fucking there were more people killed as a result of racism than probably any other time. It was also the peak of, of clan membership and, and all sorts of fucking conflicts that, that, that were multi-layered, right? Yeah. And this becomes, this becomes kind of the reason why Eugene Debs says, yes. you know, I'm going to, part ways with the American Negro because I'm fighting for the workers. Like, wait, the American Negro is not a worker? Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's like, anyways, to the, to the point here, it's also the reason why I think Garvey might have had that split, but Garvey was a fucking crook anyway, so who knows? The point being here is that Malcolm X is, is, a, is an iteration of different people, right? right. I like what right. he says. And I tend to, I tend to just not give a fuck about the whole, the whole separatist, the separatist shit, the mythological tribe of Shabazz, the black man of Asia, the fucking Yakub, the scientist. But I, I, I can take the good stuff and move on with it. I think what's really important is that you recognize that he becomes the prototype for the BLA and the and the Panthers. He becomes mm. the prototype for, yes. for black liberation and black liberation no longer is liberation in the sense of separ separation, but it's, it's right. about black power. Black power is totally different. I would almost say we have evidence of that Schnarf in the ways that black liberation movement groups <clears throat> were specifically targeted by the CIA, by the FBI, by Cointel Pro, um, 
were dismantled, were, were, were the subject to in, uh, in-state sort of domestic terrorism and the destruction of their entire communities um, in throughout the 60s and 70s. I think, well, most of the 70s and 80s, but like, I think we have the evidence to kind of support that. Yes, uh, to the extent that we have a lot of these documents, like, look. So I have a good question for you. I have a good question. Yeah, yeah and I'll, I'll say it just, I'll finish. Why is Louis Farrakhan walking and breathing still? That's different. That's different. That's different. We'll, we'll, we might get no, to that. No, it's not. We, we might get to that. But it's. We did him in like Cain did Abel. got glocked by Farrakhan and Nation of Islam. I'm sure Nation, I, I, well, I don't know. No, I, I think- I, I, There's see, a lot I that the they've had a role. Islam, I think the Nation of Islam is not bad in its, in its premise, but sure. I think all these ideological movements, if they were really adversarial, they would just shut the fuck down. Yeah. And I'm sure yes. they've made some agreements and they're like, okay, well- Satan will be good American capitalists. The nation of Islam is not antithetical to capitalism in any sort of way. See, that's that's a fair critique. It's fair because the Black Panthers, especially the Huey P. Newton Black Panthers, shut the fuck <clears> down. <throat> uh, and here's just what I wanted to say for, you know, there's there's a lot of like records that we don't have from the FBI and from the CIA about uh their participation in the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., whether or not that's true, we really don't, you know, like, it's probably true. But, like... Why don't you watch, why don't you watch the videos of Judge Joe Brown? Judge I will. Joe Brown. I'll, I'll watch those then. Okay. But, uh, but we have... Th- what I'm trying to say, there's some ambiguity, at least there's plausible deniability by the intelligence agencies as to their... Uh, participation in things like the assassination of JFK, of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and of Malcolm X. There's no plausible deniability for what the fuck they were doing to the... Can I make make a a little point, a little baby point? Yeah, please. Uh, New York City just uh, paid out, I think, $40 million to the individual who was said to be the assassin of, of Malcolm X. Uh, I don't know if it's $40 million. I think it's a couple million. It's somewhere in that vicinity in, really? in civil court. But he sat in jail for a long time. Look, all this stuff is very fishy. And I think mm-hmm. Malcolm X – so I think what's interesting about Malcolm X is that – he had an awakening, I think. And he realized that um, group politics wasn't working. And I don't think he I don't think he he backed down from ever being himself. And he never was ashamed or 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 was trying to be uh you know the the, the good Negro. What he was trying yeah. to do was carve out a, a space where he could speak truth to power in his own way. And I right. think whatever he did piss them off enough where and there was just no room for for Malcolm X 
Well, we know um, we we know too, at least with CoinTelPro, for a while that they're and this predates Malcolm X, or, or sorry, postdates Malcolm X from what we know. <clears throat> but we know how concerned they were about the rise of a black messiah. Right. Um, that that's the whole Fred Hampton story is exactly that, and it's not too much long, uh, or too much longer after that. So it's it, look, it's very plausible. You no, know, they're only going to they're only going to kill you or me or anybody else if if you if they have a beard. I think I think that's the new the the new the new move is is to just let the people who are clean shaven live. I don't know. I'm making that up. I'm being stupid. But but here's the thing. I don't think I think I don't think any longer they need to have those kind of strategies in place because the minute you make any noise, they'll just lock you up. And it was a couple of years ago. There were a couple of people who were, were arrested for being black identity extremists. And there's plenty of people who are indigenous who end up in the same situation. And there's people from other communities that end up in the same kind of trap. But here's the thing. I think that America is. While there's a there's a certain group of people who are dissatisfied and have this severe dissatisfaction, I think for the most part, there are still people who are asleep and they're not dissatisfied to that degree. However, when you pull the identity issue, there's more there's more traction to it. It's sexy. It's appealing. And I think this is where I really agree with Jonathan. I think the the sexiness of identity takes away from. Ben Burgess can swallow the dirtiest herpes infected dick on earth. You know, you know he's having a show in New York with with for forty dollars. You can see Sam Cedar, Emma Vigland, and uh, Bosker Sankara with uh, Jason Miles from fucking uh, This Is Revolution, and they're gonna be uh, they're gonna be jamming. I don't know what the fuck they're going to be doing, but it's 40 bucks and you can come and you can I mean, enact your, your, your dissidence and, and your revolutionary spirit. Yeah. So he can I, have his nice house in Norcross, Georgia and be a fucking turd and look like a fucking down damn. syndrome. Beam. Ooh, damn. Sharp is mad at Ben Burgess. Very mad. Look, I'll say this. I, I don't like anyone who protects their reputation over, uh, what I think is forward momentum towards the goals that they purport to have. Uh, I believe Ben Burgess believes in socialism. I think he's, he, I don't think he does. I think he does. I think he does. I don't know. I'm in class with him. So like, I just, just seeing the way. Okay. We got to go to the next caller. See you oh. later. <laughs> Dude. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you, but I, but, but you, I, I want you to ask yourself this: mm-hmm. If someone's passing you information that is claimed to be revolutionary knowledge of any sort, why is there a price tag associated with it? I because I get I get that people look the question's correct, right? I think you're right, and if you really want revolution, at a certain point, you're doing a lot of this shit. On my Tupac shit, you know, it's it is what it is. But I think I think connecting it back to the speech or Malcolm X's speech here too. Um, 
you know, maybe maybe when we think about like the lens of identity today, there should be some understanding of treating it in the way that we've treated religion or that Malcolm X talks about religion here. You know, this this way of we these things are personal to us and very important to us and whatever, but like to the extent that if we come up here and all we're speaking about is religion, all we're speaking about is identity, then all we're going to do up here is fight. And that does nothing to actually challenge power. And what we need to do is challenge and take power. So understand the common enemy and attack that. So I, I look, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Any parting shot, Schnarf, any shout out or. Uh, also, when are we going to do an episode of this? You got to send me a topic. Let's do a. I'll do any topic with you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that mm-hmm. the people who listen to this and are interested in Malcolm X, I think you should watch the videos and I think you should listen to what he says. Yeah. But take it, take it with the understanding that there was a moment in time that he broke with the ideological sphere. Right. And he became independent, and that's when they killed him. And yes. identity, I think, is the is the downfall of his yeah. of his movement, and then his his ideology. Like it went once he snubbed it out, he became even more dangerous. That's a really good point. It's a really good point, Fahim. Did you want to say anything or uh... get a bean pie? He will, he needs a bean pie in his life. <laughs> okay. All right, Schnarf. Well, Adios. always a pleasure, man. Uh, and thank you. Really, really good shit. Really, really good shit. Awesome. Um, wow. Really good. And that's a, the crazy thing about Colin, man. It's like someone always or knows something that has like uh, can add a lot of context to the conversation. And the fact that like motherfuckers is just out there being able to add that kind of context is. Is really something. I mean, that's cool. Um, it gives me hope. Uh, no, uh, Fahim- sorry, uh, uh, by uh, Schnarf, I was uh, basically changing from my earbuds to my uh, like wired uh, stuff because my earbuds okay. ran out of power. <laughs> so mm, yeah, but but a- a- anyways, uh, no, I uh, the main thing I wanted to uh, bring up all with this speech is the analogy to this uh, day. Uh, It wasn't uh, about uh, uh, specifically talking about uh, Nation of Islam and all. I mean, that's a whole different topic and it's an interesting topic. And uh, yes, we can uh, talk about uh, uh, that. But the part of where uh, um, Jonathan mentioned, as well as uh, Schnarf uh, mentioning uh, about identity uh, just uh, or these uh, I hate to use this word but I can't think of anything else right picks that really push away from the key thing that is the thing that I find very very uh, frustrating Yes. Uh, is yes. the uh, and and to me it doesn't mean uh, uh, rejecting uh, uh, the identity part. It's basically like when I uh, 
think about issues like war and all and somebody brings up uh, the um, uh, like transgender and this and that and I'm like okay I am with you I I mean if your issue is using a certain toilet getting recognized and all I am with you I am all uh, 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 with uh, you I stand with you I'm not kicking your uh, thing down but can we look at the bigger problem can we right. look at the right. main right. issue that is choking everybody uh, uh, else but it's just this constant uh, uh, diversion uh, to uh, you is uh, an issue when you've got a wolf uh, taking chunks out of uh, uh, you. It's like, okay, well, are you going to look at the rat or the wolf uh, right. Uh, right. first? So... <laughs> This, this, and I don't think it's it's a um, <clears throat> coincidence that a lot of what the conversations that we end up fighting over, or that end up being in the political sphere, are uh, against highly marginalized groups, and in uh, uh, topics that end up having us bicker, uh, not necessarily amongst ourselves, but for things that uh, I don't, you know. Uh, Put it this way. I don't think it's I think politics and the politicians who are in power very much like the fact that uh, a lot of what we end up arguing over between left and right in particular, uh, left and right. Right. Like the the populace are these transgender bathroom issues. Now, let me just be fucking clear. Uh, those issues for so many people are immaterial. They're completely material to people who are trans. Right. They're completely and 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 they are like it is actual oppression. OK, it is actual degradation of their humanity. It is there's there's nothing. Just be clear that that's not like a fucking. Uh, it isn't just like a political issue that doesn't matter, but it's being used specifically to divide people. And I, I want to bring it back to the speech. I think one of the best lines that Mar Malcolm X says in the speech is when he says, that's why I say it's the ballot or the bullet, it's liberty or it's death, it's freedom for everybody or freedom for... Yes. It's freedom for everybody. We have to remember that the reason, like, trans rights are human rights, and human rights are rights that we all deserve to have. Human rights are rights for everybody. Like, we're fighting for trans rights because we're fighting for human rights. But remember what we're fighting for. We're fighting for human rights. So yes. all of this, like, remember the unifying parts. Remember the parts that this solidarity is a necessary, uh, it's necessary for us to actually attack power, to actually challenge power. And to the extent that they're trying to put these issues uh, uh, up and, and, and use identity as a cudgel to divide us, fuck them. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Um Cool. Uh, we got another caller, Monica. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you for waiting so patiently. Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How you doing? Oh, maybe she was uh, waiting patiently because she's not here. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I can hear you. Howdy. 
Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say I really appreciated your rant. Um, and um, I was kind of like uh, grateful what you say about this very, I don't know what word. I wanted to add about what you say about these uh, so-called progressive. I don't even know what to call them. People who, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, the AOCs of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something that Michael Brooks said before he died in his show. I was listening to him one day, and he was just referring about these types of politicians who basically raise our hopes up when they get into power, um, giving us the impression that they would at least, the minimum they can do is at least fight, right? Right. Like for example, the right wing, the, the far right, as much as I hate them, but I can't really hate them when they at least are raising the hell, right? Right. At least representing what they actually want versus um, these progressives. Saying is that part of the problem with these people is that they don't really have ideology, right? Hmm. They don't. They don't really have a strong views on things, right? So they sort of like kind of go by the wind, right? If the wind, wind, right. wind go away, they go the other way, and right. so. I feel like if you are true leftist, if you really want justice and you really want to dismantle, I give a damn, like you were saying earlier, that, you know, I don't know, your girlfriend or somebody, that people haven't been going to doctors for a long time and now they're going to have to die. Right. That. That's what we need to stop. (laughs) And and this system is already showing the system already showed that there's no hope for them. There's just not, I mean, I have no. Are we going to come up by changing it? But sending people into Congress or to this government is not going to do it. But that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I, I love that. <laughs> I, I I love so much of that. Thank you, Monica. Uh, Fahim, what, what 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 do you got? What do you got to say? No, I mean Monica no. has a really shoot. People were just uh, like giving a certain a spiel and then uh, right being invited for coffee and that's it. Right, exactly. They're the coffee. I'm going to call them the coffee niggas. That's what they are. Um, they're people who, who, if they can be wooed by having that cup of coffee and someone telling them, well, I really care about you, I then then they're not doing enough. They're not fighting hard enough. I, I really think... This has been a development for me because I've I've always been someone personally myself who I, you know, I like people. I want to I I know that people are complicated. They have different motivations. And sometimes 
Um, they may not be in the same place that you are, but a lot of people have good, I think, at the end of the day, hearts, and they want to do what they think is right. But when it comes to actually how you utilize and challenge power, I, I have, within probably the last decade, become more and more convinced that you can like someone, but you better fucking challenge them. It doesn't matter if you think that they think they, they're doing what's right. Like, no, if what they're doing is reinforcing the power structure, you fight it. You fight it. Especially if they're in power. Exactly, Fahim. Yes. Is wrong. Yeah. Punching uh, horizontal is a waste of uh, time. Okay, but what about uh, like diagonally on a slope? Yeah, you're still going up. Uh, right? oh, okay, okay. Well, what, by someone's <laughs> point of view, it's going down, but keep going. Well, if the diagonal is down, then okay, well, you're okay. going down. But if the diagonal is uh, uh, up, uh, uh, then that's a different story. So, okay. Yeah, so when I mean up, I don't mean 90 degree up. Uh. Okay. <laughs> what if you punch Probably... someone and they fall down a slide? Is that they were horizontal when you punched them, but then you punch them so fucking hard that they just start sliding down. Is that punching down? Can you kill? Can you still punch them? You're uh, p- p- punching down. On, on, we're talking class issues, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being an idiot. Please continue with your. <laughs> no, uh, uh, but uh, but seriously, I mean uh, punching. Uh, uh, so to me, uh, like when you're challenging people in power, you should. Why not? I mean, there. It's not like you're uh, there. Your mom or uh, <laughs> girlfriend or something yeah. uh, that yeah. you've got something else going on. Uh, so, right. so why not? Why would you uh, uh, not uh, do that? So that's just my two cents. Like two dollars. It's worth its weight in gold. It's great. Um, so, uh, Monica, any other parting, parting shots or parting thoughts? I really appreciate you calling in. Okay. Uh, no, uh, yeah, thank you for accepting my call. No, that's all I really want and wanted to say. Um, I feel very strongly about <laughs> these, um, The representative that we have. Oh wait, is uh, what is it? The the minority speaker, right? The minority speaker. Yeah. So this would be Hakeem Jeffries. Yeah. Yeah, Hakeem Jeffries, right? Did you saw this speech that I saw on Twitter where he was basically evoking um that racist uh, southerner um. Basically saying that Israel now is right forever and everything. And yeah. he's supposed to represent me just because he looked like me? No, he does yeah. not represent us, right? Yeah. So that's no, what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, these uh, representation that doesn't really uh, do anything materially for us, that's another thing we just need to stop doing or stop supporting or even giving them any. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you calling in. I, I agree with you on uh, 
Hakeem Jeffries for sure. Uh, it's, and that's one of the bad ways that identity can be weaponized, right? Is someone who has the right identity, who supports all the same sort of policies that uh, the person with the bad identity or the one that is the oppressor identity has. And that's one thing that Malcolm X talks about in this speech too, when he's talking about how um, he's criticizing the, the white church to some extent. And he talks about how uh, the white church teaches white supremacy, but how the black church can just as much teach white supremacy. And when he's talking about the need to join an organization that actually talks about empowerment, that wants to give power to those who are powerless, and that works that way, join any religious organization, any uh, political organization, whatever, if their actual goal is that kind of empowerment. But don't be fooled by the fact that you can have a group that is maybe, um, you know, calls itself Black
uh, Kay's uh, speech, or I mean, forget about chickens. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm a dog, dog person, but I'm not going to um, uh, uh, get into the checkers being above any of those uh, uh, speeches. And it, it tells us something about uh, who the heck is making this. It goes back to what uh, Derek always talks about uh, yeah. of. Uh, education 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 uh, right, right. Uh, and so that's uh, that is where i really see the beauty of uh, this uh, speech and uh, once yeah. again uh, biden i i owe you oh uh, biden i mean biden. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> yeah you got to vote for me now bitch that's how it works no i uh, uh, i owe you a uh, uh, True, uh, Pacifico. I mean, not Pacifico, but uh, uh, the Pacific Mexican uh, di- uh, lunch or dinner. <laughs> you, uh, if you're ever over here, I am so grateful that you brought this uh, speech up. I really appreciate. I, it. I, I uh, that is uh, the feelings mutual, uh, Fahim. I think it's. I couldn't have picked a better topic. I literally could not have picked a better topic than this. Um, and going back to the speech list, I think it's very funny looking down this because I saw that too when I was uh, preparing for this episode Lysol and what what's interesting is so many of these speeches are again you know they're by presidents they're by uh, you know they're all Americans I don't know if this is all an American speech list it is okay an American speech list but one one that is missing here is you know uh, what to the slave is the fourth of July by Fred Douglas, uh, Frederick Douglas. And, and it is strange that, because when I think of speeches, you know, I've read a hundred speeches or not, but there are ones that stay with you that you can't ever forget. And that kind of like are always gnawing at the back of your head. And for one that was kind of like the original sort of OG fuck this America shit, uh, or at least the first, like, calling out heavily of hypocrisy, uh, you know, I think of what to the slave is the 4th of July. I mean, I, I look at stuff like the Ballad of the Bullet almost as, or the as like a continuation of that same energy, of keeping that same energy, keeping that same critique, keeping that same sort of dialectical uh, critique and, and view of American history that, um, you know, that you get from people like Howard Zinn or you get from people, um, uh, what's the dude, is it, uh, what's the dude who, Proverti, or Proverti, or is it his name, Michael Proverti or whatever? Parenti. Um, yeah, can you say it again? Is it Parenti or? Parenti, I think. I think that's it. He's, he's get, he might be dead already, but he gave a bunch of speeches about like American imperialism and everything. And I, I fall no, asleep no, he's, sometimes. A, he's, uh, he's alive. Uh, okay. But no, uh, Michael Parenti, uh, in fact, uh, Shelly was the one who probably sh- showed yes. you many of her, uh, and she did the same thing. Uh, on a lighter note, when she first said that you should look at his yellow videos, uh, and I'm like, what the heck do you mean by yellow uh, videos? Are you pulling a race card or what? Yeah, right. <laughs> 
old uh, VHF videos that were in like yellow color, and I'm like, okay, right. okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get the ye- yellow videos. I, I thought, thought it was like did. about China or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you thought she'd be racist out of nowhere, just like, yeah, go ahead. The yellow ones I mean, are the best. <laughs> yeah, those. Uh, that was the first uh, time I ever uh, uh, talked to her, and she said that you got to look at the yellow videos, and I'm. Like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's wild. I mean, like a lot of the things that it, it's interesting because when I, even when I look at that list again, Lysol with, with the speeches, um, something like picking the ballot or the bullet and having it on your list at all, when nothing else, even really, as far as I'm looking at this list gets close to that, maybe surely Chris Holm has a speech down here. Um, for the Equal Rights Amendment. Bullets on here is almost like their bad boy pick to sort of say, well, you see, we considered all kinds of different speeches. But all of these are just like Woodrow Wilson. First of all, fuck Woodrow Wilson. Let me just put that right out. Fuck him, like stupid-ass, racist-ass bitch. Fuck you, Woodrow Wilson. I don't I don't give a single fuck about you. Um, you showed Birth of a Nation... In the White House, you are fucking vehement racist, and and just a and not even like he was racist for the time. Okay, <laughs> he was he was more racist than the racist at the time. Uh, fuck Woodrow Wilson. I hope he's burning in hell if there is a hell. Fuck this motherfucker, man. This is douche, whatever. But like on here, then there's a couple of them, a couple of speeches by Woodrow Wilson on here. It's it's this type of like um, cultivation or, or, or filtering of what is the great American speech that ends up becoming propaganda that you don't even know you're ingesting. And that's what needs to be attacked. America to living in the matrix you know, this cultivated sort of world that is surrounding you that is actually an illusion, but is made to feel real. I I, I don't know. I, I look at lists like this and I can't help but think, man, they're, uh, it's not even their direct control over them choosing these 100 speeches. Part of our cultural zeitgeist and our, our cultural milieu that makes us think that these are the great American speeches and leads people to be born into this, born and raised into this country where that's that's their frame of reference, where they have the one bad boy pick for a speech, but none of these, spe- all the rest of them are every president. First of all, I'm just going to I was not alive in the 1920s, okay? I, w- I don't know exactly when the camera was invented, sometime around 1919 or something, because they, uh, sometime in the 1900s or maybe a little earlier because by that time they were able to show Birth of a Nation in the White House. But I am alive right now. And I know that the last...
names and doesn't say doesn't say anything. Blah 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 blah. And another was George W. Bush. Okay, these are presidents of the United States. If we're batting, okay, I'll give Obama. Okay, I'll give him. He's a good speaker. Okay, but three out of four of those motherfuckers are bad speakers. Are you? Seventy-five percent of the presidents on this list were given dog shit ass speeches. Okay, absolutely, I, I guarantee you. Just, just if we're going by the averages that we have right now, based on the available data, like imagine two hundred years into the future, and it's oh. This is some dog shit. Anyway, I just... So I I noticed there are six speeches at a Democratic National Convention between 1976 and 1992. So I think we know who made this list. It's (laughs) Democrats who came up inspired by Michael Dukakis. It's a Dukakis list. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, mystery solved. At least they got their bad boy. You recognize the ballot in the bullet. The number five is keynote to the 76th Democratic Convention by Barbara Jordan. Who the fuck is Barbara Jordan? Wikipedia says she, she had a, a very uh, moving opening speech at the beginning of the uh, Richard Nixon impeachment trial. So then... The, I think I actually remember later, hearing this speech. She's the celebrity speaker at the Democratic National Convention. That's my theory. Based on five seconds research. <sighs> Man, you know, well, it's probably more research than the motherfuckers did in putting together this list, <laughs> but we'll, you know... The, I know you joined a little late. Um, were you able to catch any of the clips that we played of the the, the speech, the bow to the bullet? I didn't. No. Uh, the oh, okay. Basis well, seems to be being be prudent with your vote. Uh, I mean, just based on the, the title, the idea to like just kind of like don't give your vote to just anyone. Make sure that your vote counts. Make sure that it matters. That's a big part, but it's I, I the speech is absolutely worth listening to, though. Honestly, as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go on the exercise bike, pedal, and listen to it again, I think, just to It's going to make you pedal harder. I'm going to pedal so fucking hard. I'm going to be like, ooh, pedaling to freedom. (laughs) No, but seriously, uh, I I highly, uh, I am just blown away of how many people haven't heard uh, the speech. Just uh, just listen to the speech uh, and think of the parallels uh, to this uh, day yeah. Yeah. And, think, and think of the uh, well I mean if somebody's a, a, a speech person and all you can think of uh, his delivery I mean which is Malcolm's deliveries are always uh, awesome fire. And, and his fire and his uh, interviews uh, of God damn, uh, yeah. he's I mean, off the chain find, a shitload of interviews on uh, line, but just the uh, analogies uh, that relate to uh, this day and many of the uh, uh, private rooms, uh, or not private rooms, but uh, uh, call-in sessions that we would get into, like especially with us uh, uh, paisans, uh, uh, like when 
Derek would do his stuff and Schnarf would do his room uh, and all. And we talk about uh, things. It's basically, yeah. uh, I just see of the uh, relevance of this uh, speech or the analogies of the speech ringing through so many uh, times. And I couldn't recommend this uh, speech more. I've literally listened to it a hundred uh, times and I have it pretty much memorized uh, uh, because every time I hear something, I am like, wow, this is such a moving, um, amazing, fire you up uh, a speech and, and it makes you look around and be like, what are we not doing? What, what, what do, how do we uh, uh, do uh, uh, this? And everybody's at a different place in their life. I get it. Uh, but right. it's something that really cuts through a lot of the bullshit that we uh, see. And especially like in a lot of media, we would yeah. come across yeah. like, oh, okay, so-and-so, it's because of this and because of uh, that. And when you listen to the speech and you're like, no, uh, it's the one.
Sure. Yeah. It. Yeah. 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 They definitely equate it, you know, and I don't know enough about the nine eleven shit. I remember hearing all that. So I can't, I don't know. I don't know. Do I think it's like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But the, the propaganda aspect, I, I, fathers and how fucking badass they were. And, you know, to be fair too, some of the stuff they did is badass. Like uh, Ben Franklin walking around naked everywhere and taking air baths. I fuck with that. I I fuck with Ben Franklin a little bit because I just think he a he a freak. He out there doing his thing. He just he invented shit and then he just doing his thing. Like I I but the idea that like the there's this special particular reverence that we need to give and uh, to every founding father and this idea that you know. Um, even saying something that is true about a founding father that could be perceived as negative is an attack on the founding father. I think is fucking nuts. And we, you can see people get upset when you mention something like, yeah, well, Washington and Jefferson owned slaves, a lot of them. And people, they almost feel like you're making a political point just by saying that. And you're not, I, th I think I wouldn't mind as much 